Welcome to the first episode of the Drinks and Diamonds podcast. I am Rick Durham Phillips Marketing Director, Rebecca, who really needs to prove to Rick that getting all this podcast equipment was worth it. So thank you for listening. I have with me Matt Schlomer, our coveted watchmaker and Mr. Billboards himself, Blake Stelzer, our sales floor manager. Hi, guys. All right. Thanks for having us. Thank you for coming downstairs and spending the last hour of your day here with me. Um, Blake and Matt took a journey with our store owners, Eric and Rick, to attend Watches and Wonders in Geneva. And oh, what a journey it was. So let's get into that. I read that Watches and Wonders experienced record-breaking attendance, um, stepping up its creativity, innovation, and openness. How did this year differ from last year? Uh, we attended on April 1st, which was the first day open to the public, and that was new this year. So the cross-section of folks who were at the event this year, I think, was much more diverse than last year, not just dealers and media. Um, it was really kind of cool to see the enthusiasm and the, um, gauge the feedback from a lot of the members of the public. It, it, it ended up being kind of like a almost like a local trade show because the people from around Geneva were bringing their kids as though they were going to like, as we would cavalcade a customs here or something. It was really kind of cool to see them out for a weekend day to uh, just look at watches instead of, uh, I don't know, going to the park or something. It was really neat. Yeah, I also found it interesting that 25% of the attendees were under the age of 25. uh, Watches are as popular as they've ever been, pulling in the... Uh, post-millennial generation, I think, in, a, in an unusual way, as talk about uh, smartwatches and other things uh, over the last 10 years, seemingly much of the public thinks they're taking over, but I don't think watches have been more popular, certainly in my lifetime, than they are now. And Blake, why do you think uh, the event appeals to a younger demographic? Um, I, I mean, I think Matt hit it on the head. It's 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 all generations now of, of people that are getting into watches. Uh, th- it's inevitable to deny the the fact that social media and music and television has played a huge role in it. I mean, there's songs about these watches. There's people talking about these watches. Uh, you know, everything is right at your fingertips. When I was growing up, it was a little bit different. It was more word of mouth, how you heard about things. And now people are able to get, you know, bombarded on Instagram and Facebook uh, with ads and marketing and rap music and all kinds of things of people talking about these name brands. And oftentimes they are these watch brands that we're going to see, whether it be Rolex or Patek Philippe or any of these big names, uh, these kids know about them. I mean, I've I've talked to 14 year old kids who say they want a Patek Philippe and they really don't know what that means, but they know it's cool. And then as they grow up, they they start to understand the meaning and and the value in it. So the first few days are kind of for specific people to attend. I I read that it's just the last two days are kind of open to the public. So what kind of people attend the first few days? And were you only at the last two days? Yes. So, and I would, even going back to the question that Matt kind of answered, the biggest difference between this year and last year is, is when we attended, yes, but we also knew what to expect. So we had gone last year and it wasn't open to the public at all. It was retailers and media. And then you had the brands that were there being represented. And this year for the first five days, it was retailers, media, 
brands being represented. And then the last two, they opened to the public. So anybody from any country could buy a ticket and attend. Um, they could bring their children, they could bring their mother, you could bring anybody you wanted to. So even from being there, we saw many groups of people walking around, clearly just friends. Uh, and, and speaking to the 25 and under, many young people at this event, just there to look at watches. Uh, there was a few immersive activities that people could do, but for the most part, you're just window shopping. Uh, a giant, giant boutique of watches, uh, floor to ceiling, branding from every big name. That's for the most part, every big name that's in the, in the market right now. As far as innovations went, was there anything that was really notable or anything that shocked you like looking into the future? I would say uh, Rolex using titanium and a standard release watch uh, is something that's new. Grade five titanium and the Yachtmaster 42. It's just a, it's a special watch. I'm not sure how innovative it is as far as the watch community goes, but something really avant-garde for Rolex to produce. Um, we didn't really see any, there were a few other brands that were exhibiting carbon fiber pieces and some other things like that, that open work dials skeletonized and things that are uh, marvels of engineering um, becoming more innovative. And I think brands like um, Richard Mill and some of these others that are out there that are making these extremely robust, uh, very un using very unusual materials, it's starting to bleed into some of the other manufacturers who are finding ways of engineering similar product uh, with their own identity, I guess. Yeah. It's pretty cool to see that coming through from a lot of the other brands. It's interesting, though, because it's not really what we go for here uh, at Richter and Phillips. Um, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of innovative stuff happening in the horological world, but uh, we have kind of taken more of a traditional stance stance on our on our watches that we carry and the brands that we carry. I think these big cities are ones that can kind of play with the Richard Mells and the H Mosiers and the micro brands and the ones that are more niche. Um, we you know, carry big name brands and the brands that we carry tend to tiptoe the traditional line for the most part. Uh, so it's awesome to go to this place and see these open works and these skeletons and these carbon fibers and these, you know, I, I, the one that stood out last year, we went to, uh, watches and wonders was the phantom black H Moser, which was like this insane prototype of a watch that if you touched it, it would fall apart. Like they didn't even have it nailed. I mean, I think H Moser made a watch out of cheese. Um, and these people were there being represented in an extremely popular brand. But again, we don't get to see it as much. At least I don't. Matt does. We get clients that'll walk in from time to time with some wild pieces on, but going somewhere like that, you see everything. I mean, everything you could ever want to see, you see, uh, and all the, you know, brand new innovative stuff you're seeing being done by these brands that are, are, are there that we would really have no shot of, of trying to carry in a, in a city like Cincinnati. So what brand surprised you the most during your visit, whether it's one we have or one that we don't have, what was a brand that you thought did something really cool or just kind of surprised you? Uh, we had an opportunity to meet with Tag Heuer as a non-dealer, uh, sort of engagement. And I think I was really surprised by the, the depth and breadth of their product line from a $2,800 ladies, 34 millimeter, uh, stainless steel piece to a, they pulled out a tourbillon, uh, Carrera at the end of our meeting, which is just talk about innovation. That's something really unusual that I was very surprised that tag did. Um, it was, it was pretty cool to see 
glimpse that my first watch love was a tag. My first mechanical watch was a tag. Uh, and that's what got me hooked in this world. And uh, I still have that watch, which is wonderful. But it, it was cool to be able to glimpse the world of tag. And, and they were gracious enough to let us kind of have access to it. Yeah, the tag meeting was was a, a phenomenal one. And uh, I mean, I think what a lot of people don't realize is me and Matt definitely have our our wealth of knowledge in this world and we know a lot about watches and Matt more technical, me more aesthetic and, and price points and why you're going to like the way it fits and why the way you're going to like the way it looks. But we really just, you know, we, we kind of fly by the seat of our pants when we're, when we're looking at this stuff, it, it's, it's so hard to follow what everyone's doing all at one time, especially when they're releasing around a similar time that, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me would have to be Rolex using titanium and they did it even earlier in the year and it watch called the deep sea challenger, which deep sea challenge, which is just a massive monstrosity of a watch uh, that's capable of doing amazing things. Uh, but it was that groundbreaking thing. I mean, they started using open case backs, which was also quite a shocking thing for Rolex to do, uh, you know, again, but it, it's kind of funny when we find ourselves in these, unbelievable amazing experiences like traveling to geneva with two amazing people like rick and eric and me and matt you know inside of work and outside are the closest of buddies uh he was you know a, a part of my wedding and um we're just we find ourselves just geeking out constantly over the opportunity to be there and then the fact that we're seeing all this stuff in person the the meetings often consist of giggles back and forth and uh me and matt kind of just nerding out over watches for two oftentimes entirely different reasons he's geeking on the movement i'm looking at the aesthetics and how it fits and how it wears and why i like it and it's pretty and he likes how it's working but um the the, the it's just that it's a really unique thing and it, it, again i think we just sit back and find ourselves extremely grateful sometimes for the opportunity of the friendship and the the, the community that we work in and just normal guys that just love love what we ended up doing. Yeah, it's a good thing that you guys have such a great friendship because the traveling portion of getting to and from Switzerland seemed to be an adventure in and of itself. Yeah, it could be rough. <laughs> this year was better than last year. Was it? Was it? Didn't you have no, a huge delay in Paris? Well, we got stuck in Newark last year. And, and this year we were just delayed heavily in Paris, but... Um, Matt, Matt had a full-blown panic with a newborn baby at home, somehow wiggled his way out of Newark and back to Cincinnati last year when me, Rick, and Eric got stuck at a double tree in a massive storm in Newark. Uh, but this year, the uh, French air traffic controllers decided to strike uh, right as we wanted to leave Paris. So we got stuck for a little while longer than we had anticipated, which was... But again, with a group of guys like this, it, yeah. you know, I, I can remember my, my wife asking me, like, do you guys fight? Do you guys, do you guys ever, like, butt heads, not get along? And... Again, I think the reality of it is, is, is of course, there's definitely personalities. Me and Matt are constantly bickering, but we're, be <laughs> we're, we're best friends. And Rick and Eric obviously have a tremendous relationship as father-son and co-worker, and we all do. Uh, so it's just kind of, you know, it's a laid-back thing. We're all just normal, normal guys just, you know, coming home from work, I guess, uh, so to speak. But um, definitely tired and jet-lagged, but nothing. We, get, we all get along very well. Well, uh, according to Rick, you slept through the whole thing. So. I did. Yep, I slept. <laughs> I think I slept. I got onto the plane at Paris, and I fell asleep, and we I was woken up to deboard, and I thought for a second we were in Cincinnati, but I had just been sleeping for about an hour. So, uh, so going back to the brands that we were just talking about, uh, Blake, I'd be interested to know, were there any brands that you discovered while 
um, at the convention that you hadn't heard of before or thought were really cool? The answer would be yes. And if you asked me to tell you what they were, I wouldn't be able to. Get the, would your best friend Matt be able to? Probably not. I think the reality is, is that this year, if, if we're talking about what was the big difference between last year and this year, by the time we got out of our first meeting, which was with Grand Seiko, it was so unbelievably crowded that it was hard to explore any other brands other than the ones that we had appointments with. When we have an appointment, we get ushered into the back and up into an upstairs room and we're gone and seeing product one-on-one. But then there's this whole other, like I said, immersive experience where you walk through these boutiques almost. And it was very difficult to do with the with the amount of public and then people that were there. The other thing that wasn't really talked about is obviously it was open to the public also, but that last year during COVID, some countries didn't travel to the show because of restrictions, whether it be uh, put on by the, the government themselves or, or just health restrictions. And this year, a lot of those were lifted. So not only was it open to the public, you had huge countries like Asia traveling again for the first time to the show, where it was not quite overwhelming, but when you get into some of these new micro brands, they have much smaller boutiques and there's just not much you can, you can do. One that I was looking forward to seeing, which was not there this year was H Mosier. And that's kind of been my new love. Zenith was awesome as well. Zenith was awesome. Yeah. Uh, it was, a lot of these places were great. They set up, there's two small like micro brand salons or smaller brand salons. Uh, mm-hmm. Last year there was only one and there were six exhibiting brands and U-Boat and some of these others, uh, Frederick Constant, Alpina, um, were there this year in a brand new salon area that had just the brands that wanted to be participants and who were able to afford the price of admission or whatever it happened to be to be invited to, to have their space. It was pretty cool to see them. There weren't really too many stands out, standouts in those. There were a few uh, booths that were much more... Um, decoration centric than they were product centric. So uh, Hermes had a setup that was probably 90% just uh, visual uh, artwork, um, functional art, things dangling from the ceilings and mobiles and all sorts of other things. And then occasionally you would spot a timepiece somewhere lurking inside, but it was super interactive. They had these Super trippy. It was kind of trippy, yeah. They had these wall displays that must have had um, like migrating magnets on the front and then some electromagnetic uh, circuit in the back. So these were seemingly dancing little flowers and things across these these poster board sized displays. Rick stared at it for he did. He got drawn in. He got drawn in. Well it sounds sick. I don't blame him. It's up my alley for sure. Yeah, it was very cool. Um, so speaking of that, what was your favorite, um, release at watches and wonders, like your top favorite release? Uh, for me, the Tudor 1954 was probably one of, it was my favorite hands down there. There as a close runner up, but, um, Tudor has a, on the first level of their build in this event, um, Last year they had historical pieces in their chronograph collection that came out of their, I guess, the Tudor's private vault. And this year they had their diving collection, so Tudor subs from the very beginning. And the 1954 uh, modern version was set up in a, next to the 1954 original version that is pristine. And aesthetically they're very, uh, very close. Uh, the original was a manual wind, the current model is a uh, automatic winding on a bracelet on it, it just 
it's really nice. It does the 37 millimeter size does not uh, give anything away. You would you wouldn't think that it measures that when you have it on wrist. I was very impressed. Is it my turn? If you would like to share, yeah. Um, it's a tough question. I am uh, I'm a Rolex fanboy through and through. I've always loved the brand. Had a huge passion for it. Loved what it stood for, at least in my mind. So the top release is probably going to have to come from Rolex. The watch that I liked the most was the rose gold blue dial uh, Skydweller. It's surely off of aesthetics. I think it is an absolutely beautiful watch. It's a close second to the Yachtmaster 42. Uh, they are very opposite. But again, just off of aesthetics in, in the brand itself, Yachtmaster uh, comes in second. And the, the Skydweller is probably my, my favorite one. Rose gold with the new blue dial. It was amazing. And oh. probably because I was wearing a blue suit. too. It sounds pretty. Do we have that here? We don't, know. Not yet. Oh, we, we need will. to get one of those so we, we can look will. at it. No doubt. Um, so we did submit on Instagram stories, as you saw, just if anybody had any questions, that's where most of these topics are coming from. But we did have some submissions that want to know about the nightlife. They want to know what you guys did after hours, convention closed, who swept you away, who snuck into whose room in the middle of the night, whatever you boys do. Last year and this year were actually two very different things. So last year we stayed in this hotel called the Move and Pick. And it was not at all what we expected, but turned out to be absolutely amazing. And in the basement of the Move and Pick Hotel, which was right next to the airport, was a casino. And we figured this out about halfway through day one. It was a shady sign that all it said was down. And when you press the down button, you got an elevator. It took you one floor down and you walked down a dark hallway with neon lights into this full-blown underground casino. And so last year, the nightlife surely consisted of drinking beer and playing electric roulette. I think Matt wandered off to play cards once or <laughs> twice, but me, Rick, and Eric, I mean, hours on end, just sat there pressing buttons, playing electric roulette, and actually ended up quite a bit of money, uh, up quite a bit of money. All Rick's money, but we, we, <laughs> we ended up up, and then me and Eric proceeded to lose every single penny of it with Rick begging us and pleading us to just let it go and go to bed. Um, so that was last year. And this year was, and Matt will add, but uh, was was quite different. We stayed in a very, very, very nice hotel this year called President Wilson, um, right on Lake Geneva. And there was within walking distance to downtown Geneva. So we found the one night that we were there and feeling up to it, we uh, we found a really nice like steak and fries place. And then um, me and Eric wandered off to a pub at some point uh, in there and played darts uh, for quite a bit. I think er, er, uh, Matt and Rick called it a night. I don't know if they snuck into each other's room, but darts is nice. It's a classic game. We did not sneak into there. each other's rooms, but we weren't uh, we weren't ready to roll, so we sat at the Octo Bar. Everything got themed around a jewelry show in the hotel's lobby and and uh, reception area that was happening in the basement, concurrent with watches and what wonders. were the uh, bartenders wearing uh, at the hotel. They were all wearing Rolex watches. It was pretty phenomenal. I mean, you'd see you'd see hotel staff uh, wearing fifteen thousand dollar Rolex watches. Wow. Like it was nothing. Yeah, pretty, cool. pretty incredible. Uh, you would you would assume probably on land. Yeah, you would assume. Um, so the nightlife for us after our long day at Watches and Wonders, which was like fourteen hours or something ridiculous. Um, yeah, Tudor. Tudor whisked us away in a couple of vans to a secret location. So it was it was really interesting. It's a Tudor dinner. Um, it's it is kept secret, but it, they had had they'd already hosted a couple of them prior to us with other groups from around the world. Um, 
So, so that's how you knew where we were going. No, no. I knew because where man, we passed like nine cycle shops. Anyway, we go into this space and it's it's uh probably two and a half story tall curtains all the way around about uh like an NBA basketball court sized area. There's a bar in the center and tables all around and we had kind of assigned seating and just got to mingle for about forty five minutes and then we're seated for dinner. Uh, once we sat down, the curtains dropped, and we were inside a velodrome, indoor cycling track. Uh, if anybody's followed our Instagram, then they saw some glimpses of uh, of the madness that ensued after that. Each wave of food that came, uh, another race, another style race took place with the Tudor Pro Racing Team. Uh, there was a Swiss racing team. They raced at one point. There was like kind of a relay. There was an elimination round. They raced an electric motorcycle which was really pretty impressive. So all throughout our dinner, this is what's happening. Dinner abruptly ended when, uh, as soon as the food, as soon as our plates were clear so we could watch the events. It was, it was really neat. It went well into the night, but... It turned into a party. It turned into a party. After the racing was over, a three-piece band came out. And BMX riders came out. We, BMX yeah, it was just, riders. it was like beyond anything that we had been told to be prepared for just an amazing experience, and uh, it did not disappoint. They really put on a heck of a show. It was incredible. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I love the footage that you guys sent. It looked really fun. Um, so that sounds like it was a really memorable experience, but what was your favorite moment from the trip, whether it has to do with your beautiful friendships or the watch brands, incredible experiences? What was the one moment that is locked in your brain forever? Are we talking about France? No, it can be anything. I mean. But are we talking about it? Yeah, we can talk about whatever you want. What's, what happened in France? I mean, we went there for two days after Geneva. Okay. So, and that's where, I mean, it was just a really, really, really cool town. Really cool experience. We got to go to. Paris, you mean? No, we went to Chamonix Montblanc, oh. uh, which is about an hour outside of Geneva for a team building exercise for 36 hours. Um, and team I guess building, yeah. I need to dig more into this team building. Yeah. So the, who created this team building program? Nancy, Nancy J. Oh, that, then it was legit. Yeah, it was okay. Legit. Okay. So I, my, it may not, it would be very hard to pinpoint a single moment, but we've had been walking through this, this small little hamlet of Chamonix and there, this big outdoor, like beer, beer garden area. <laughs> had a walk-up <laughs> bar and then these like folding lounge chairs that were all seated that were facing looking up at the Alps and we we grabbed a beer and sat down and had a cigar and a beer in the sunshine in Chamonix the four of us and just talked and hung out it was a held hands sang songs not exactly but it was very pleasant at that point it was 40 degrees but it, pro it felt like 60 because you're kind of at altitude and um anyway that we don't in this business get much time to reflect but that was after you know 72 hours of just constant go 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 we finally had a moment that we sat down all four of us together we weren't on a plane we weren't in a vehicle and we just yeah soaked up the sun and talked and yeah had some suds that that was i mean that was a pretty unbelievable experience uh when we arrived in shimoni and and uh me and eric really had no idea what to expect all we had been told by nancy is that we're going to this place and it's pretty cool and we set off to walk uh and we discovered that it was quite a cool 
of little village, a ski village. Um, and you know, the experience that Matt just addressed was one that was very similar to mine. I mean, just being able to, again, take a few minutes to reflect on the fact that one Richter and Phillips has become what it is today and what our clients love and know and what us as employees, I think I can speak for you, Rebecca, me, Matt, and, and most everyone up there that's been with us for more than a year or two, that it is an unbelievable company to work for and to be able to sit next to the guys that help do their best to make it happen and just reflect and, and, and be in the moment was an awesome one. The other one that was a really cool one is the night we arrived in Geneva. Uh, everyone was very tired. Uh, flights had been delayed. We were supposed to get in around noon. We didn't get in until like six. And I really wanted to attend a jewelry show. I had never been. I've been in this industry for almost five, five and a half years now. And I just, I really wanted to see what a jewelry show is all about. Um, so Rick, put on his big boy pants and said, all right, let's go check out a jewelry show. If you really want to look at it, Eric and, and Matt kind of split off and did their own thing. And I got to walk through this jewelry show on my own. Really Rick kept knowing people. So you know how it is. He's always stopping, but, um, it was just a really cool moment to be in a different country and to be talking to people from all over the world about their different jewelry lines and why theirs is more important than the person right across the way. Uh, and then to go up to the bar after and, and mingle and, and, and talk with all these people again from all over the world, Italy, France, Germany, Russia, uh, all over. Um, you know, one of these guys had just the most unbelievable jewelry collection I have ever seen in my life. I mean, it was out of this world, nuts. I started taking pictures and then Rick came over and told me I'm not allowed to take pictures, uh, but I have all the pictures and they were, it was just unbelievable. And to think about that there's a market somewhere that that stuff sells. And we're talking about, you know, multi-million dollar single jewelry pieces, That's colored crazy. diamonds. And uh, so that was one thing that stood out to me. And still today, it's something that I told my wife when we got home is that, you know, I'm passionate about watches. I'm really passionate about what we do in, as a jewelry store and, and to be able to experience that side of it, especially in the environment that we were, just was really special. Um, and to, to share it with the guys that I was with and then come back and be able to share the pictures with, you know, some of my coworkers was just a, is a great, great, great experience. Yeah, that's awesome. I love hearing about that. That's really cool. Well, thanks for sitting down here, guys, um, and taking time away from your very busy schedules. Uh, but please do remain seated because we're recording another episode right now. Cheers. Cheers.